I came to know Jesus in high school out kind of out of the blue. I had not really ever read the Bible or was in a Bible study or, or anything, but Jesus answered the hugest question in my young heart. And that was, what is going to happen to me when I die? My friend simply handed me a Bible verse on a note card, and when I read it, I knew Jesus was the answer to that question and to all of my questions. So my grandparents, my grandpa was a pastor, and my grandma was also a pastor. They just called her the pastor's wife. She was also a pastor. They bought me a Bible, this Bible right here, a living Bible with my name engraved in gold on it. And my need to know this Jesus who had rescued me was so deep that I just jumped in. And I just kind of opened the Bible, and it seemed like maybe the words that were written in red were maybe kind of important, kind of a big deal. So I just read them all, all the words of Jesus. And I actually started to write them in my high school journal. I just brought a slide of a couple of the pages It's just filled with verse after verse after verse, right alongside my notes about which boy I loved that week (laughs) and what outfits I planned to wear each day. I was a little high strung and my schedule for each week, which included an incredible number of hours, it appeared watching soap operas. (laughs) Thank you, God, for saving me is all I have to say to that. So after I read all the red letter stuff, I took another step and I I read some Old Testament and then I found the Psalms and then I started to read some of the battle stories and then I found the prophets and I found life and hope and answers and peace amidst the tumultuous years of high school. Just one next step. That's all I needed to do. And frankly, to be honest with you, that's all I've done since for the last 35 years with the scriptures. I've just taken one next step. Jesus invited, and he still invites, ordinary human beings to take one next step, and then the next step, and then the next step, and to walk right into the opportunity of a lifetime, really the opportunity of an eternity, to walk with him and to walk in freedom and to experience the grace, love, and the abundant life of his Father. And like Jeff talked about last week, if you were here, this is what the disciples experienced when they were with Jesus, when he was here on earth. But after he was resurrected and he ascended to be with the Father, the disciples, at least for a season, were lost until the Spirit came and the church was formed, this ragtag gathering of the called out ones. God created the church, not the building, but the people as the primary avenue through which his mission was to be carried out. And the beautiful thing is that his mission is still our mission, and that is to help people encounter and follow Jesus to bless a broken world. So whether you've been a follower of Jesus for 50 years or or for 50 minutes, again, like Jeff talked about last week, the church, this church, Orchard Hill Church, exists to help you grow in God's love and his life that's found in Jesus, and then to help you share that love and life with other people. We exist to help you jump into the stream of God's Holy Spirit. The scriptures call this the river of life. And we're looking to the book of Acts, the story of the beginning of the early church, for guidance 
as to how to jump into this powerful movement of God that has gone on since the beginning of time. And again, here's the beautiful thing. The essential ways the first century church used to connect their lives to the life of God uh, are still effective today. They're still the ones that we've latched on to as a church. And that is to worship God, to engage the Bible, to believe in or belong in community, and to invest in others. Now remember, if you were here for our Set Free series, we do none of these things to earn God's favor or to earn God's salvation or to become a good Christian. You know how I feel about that phrase. But we do these things because we, like I did in high school, yearn to be in relationship with Jesus, the one who sets us free and who now calls us to invite other people to experience the same kind of freedom. So last week, Jeff looked at the stream of investing in others, and today we're going to look at what it looks like to jump into the stream of engaging the Bible. And uh, we're going to look real quickly at Acts chapter 2. This is the passage that Jeff read, this beautiful picture of the early church and what their lives were uh, focused around. And I'm just going to read the very first verse because it takes me right to where I want to go. Acts chapter 2, verse 42. They, this is all the early believers, devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Now the apostles, as they're talking about devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching, the apostles were Jesus' closest followers and the teachers and leaders of the early church. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. The word devoted there means they kept on devoting themselves to it. It wasn't a one-time deal. This early community of Jesus devoted themselves to a very few things. And the very first one was the apostles' teaching. Now, you have to remember, they didn't have the New Testament scriptures. That wasn't even written yet. But what they did have were the stories and the teachings of Jesus that they had in their own heads and lives because they lived with him. And they had the Old Testament. And they devoted themselves, if you read through Acts, you'll see them do this all the time. They devoted themselves to taking the Old Testament scriptures and sharing with each other and with those outside their group how Jesus was the fulfillment of all the writings of the Old Testament, how Jesus was the Messiah, the Savior, the one who was prophesied from the beginning. And they devoted themselves to this kind of teaching and learning experience from the scriptures. It was their lifeline. And it should be ours. Today, the equivalent to devoting ourselves to the apostles' teaching is devoting ourselves to the scriptures, to the Bible. It is what we, the church, are to be devoted to. This deep reflection on the living word as the Bible describes itself. Alive, active, powerful, like a mighty rushing river. And we're calling, we're calling every single one of us to jump into that stream. And I want to look at a story in Acts chapter 8. It's a really interesting story. Um, to talk a little bit more about how we need to engage the Bible. So if you have your Bibles, you can open them. If not, you can just follow along on the screen. Acts chapter 8, starting with verse 26. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Go south to the road, the desert road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. So he started out 
And on his way, he met an Ethiopian eunuch. I'll come back to that in just a minute. An Ethiopian eunuch, an important official in charge of all the treasury of the Kandake. I don't know if I'm saying that right. Which means queen of the Ethiopians. This man had gone to Jerusalem to worship. And on his way home, he was sitting in his chariot, reading the book of Isaiah, the prophet. First point that I want to take from this text is that we need to open the Bible. We need to open it. The Ethiopian, which is what I'm going to call him rather than calling him a eunuch. But can I just say for a second, this is fascinating Bible trivia. Sometimes in a king or queen's palace in the ancient days, uh, there were men who were brought in as servants. And scholars say some of these men were castrated in order to avoid any palace hanky-panky. Note to self, gentlemen, don't become a part of the Ethiopian queen's palace staff. Yikes. So anyway, the Ethiopian was sitting in his chariot, the Bible tells us, and I picture him like me many years ago when I used to sit in my chariot while my kids were in piano lessons or coming out of school or playing soccer in the rain, and I didn't sit out there in the rain. I just sat in my chariot. This guy was kind of like a soccer mom or dad. He was waiting in his car for whatever was going to happen next. And so what does he do? He opens up the Bible to the prophet Isaiah. No talk radio, no Spotify or iTunes or Netflix on his phone. Nope, this man opens the scriptures. Little fact from George Barna, 91% of Americans own a Bible. 20% of us open it at least once a week. I'm just going to let that sink in for a minute. But I want to say this really clearly as I read that statistic. If you are here this morning... And you don't own a Bible. Or if you haven't opened a Bible in years, it is okay. We're not a place that's going to shame anybody about this. There's no litmus test to be a part of this community. So I just want to get that on the table. At the same time, we are going to say this. The Bible does very little good as a showpiece on the coffee table. God's not like, oh, that looks so cute. Thanks for putting it there. That's awesome. Or as a doorstop or just to carry around so that you look like Bible boy or Bible girl. The Bible is God's voice. It is God's heart poured out for us so that we can with our puny little minds and our desperately thirsty souls try to understand who God is and what he's like and what he cares about. It is one of the most powerful means that God uses to connect With us, personally and corporately. And yet most of us, I think when we're honest, and I'm being honest with this as well, we don't engage the Bible in ways that the early church would would look at and say they're devoted to that. I think the statistic is for those of us who open the Bible, we engage it one hour a week versus 30 hours a week of television. And I know that stings a little, and it's, it's a little impolite to say during football season, but I'm saying it to, I'm sorry everyone, but I'm saying all of you guys who had six hours of TV ready to go this afternoon, let's just all wince a little together. It hurts to rip the band-aid of denial off. To engage the Bible, we have to open the Bible. That's my first point. So let's keep reading and see what happens. The Spirit told Philip, So remember, here's the Ethiopian. He's in his chariot and he reads, he's reading the book of Isaiah. The spirit told Philip, go to that chariot and stay near it. 
Then Philip ran up to the chariot and heard the man reading Isaiah the prophet. Do you understand what you are reading? Philip asked. How can I? He said, unless someone explains it to me. I love this. I love this. We second point, we need to open the Bible and we, then we need to acknowledge that it is hard. This reminds me of this analogy that I, I read about us when we give a Bible to someone and say, read it. It's easy. It's a little bit like being set up on a blind date. And we say to somebody, you know, I got this girl for you to meet. She's really great. She's so fascinating. She's traveled. She has a great personality. You know, that's a dangerous one. She's got a great personality. She speaks a lot of languages. She will change your life. And you're like, great, I'll go on a date with her. And you go to pick her up and you open the door and there she is. And she's so strange. And she's from another country and she speaks a lot of other languages you don't understand, and some of her stories are super odd, and she's got a great personality, but sometimes she seems a little off. And you're like, thanks a lot, friend. That's not exactly what I expected. This is often what we cause people to feel when we hand them the scriptures and say, it is easy. It is not always easy to read the Bible. It is hard, and some of it is just flat-out confusing and sometimes seems kind of weird. Okay. Next point. So, so he says to the man, do you understand it? And the man says, how can I unless someone explains it? So he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. I love this. He didn't get defensive. He didn't get arrogant. He invited him to come sit up right next to him and talk about the scriptures, which leads me to my third point. Ask for help with no shame. It is okay to read the Bible and say to yourself, uh, hello. I have no idea what this means. We can ask each other for help, and we should. I mean, God is a mystery, right? His ways are higher than our ways, and we should be very suspicious of people who say, I got it, nailed it, I get the whole Bible, got it figured out. Jesus had special feelings toward people who thought they had all the answers, if you'll remember. But we individualistic Westerners are often led to believe that the best way to read the Bible is to read it alone, to just grit our teeth and to just squeeze our brains a little bit. And then we think on our own, we should be able to understand everything. But listen, the value of reading and reflecting on scripture alone cannot be overestimated. I mean, some of the most powerful times I've had with God have been me and the Bible and God alone. But in Jesus day, In the communal culture of the Middle East, reading the Bible was often a group event. And I think it was that way so that people could ask each other for help with no shame. So Philip gets into the chariot with the Ethiopian and the Bible continues and says this. This is the passage of scripture. It says the eunuch, but I'm going to call him the Ethiopian. This is the passage of scripture the Ethiopian was reading. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter, and as a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he did not open his mouth. In his humiliation, he was deprived of justice. Who can speak of his descendants? For his life was taken from the earth. And the Ethiopian asked Philip, Tell me, please, who is this prophet talking about, himself or someone else? He asked a question. It's my fourth point. Ask questions of the Bible. 
We struggle with this one so much, and I think it's because of our educational system. We believe that understanding and engaging the Bible means there's one right answer to every question, and it is our job to get the right answer, fill in the blank, turn in our worksheet to the teacher, and get an A. But this was not the way Jesus' people interacted with either God or God's scriptures. The Jewish thing was to always ask questions. Always. This is why people often ask Jesus a question about the Old Testament scriptures and why he very often answered their question with a question. This was an understood way to interact with the word of God. And I believe that we should be freer to argue with God about things we don't understand, to wrestle with him on an issue, to wrestle with each other on questions, and to turn scripture around in our hands like a multifaceted diamond, to know that we can never plumb the depths of it with one answer, that every question probably has multiple ways of being answered. So as you read the Bible, would you please let it be as big as it really is? And be okay with unanswered questions. And know that there are no questions that are too big or too threatening or too off limits for God. Let's engage the Bible for real. Last point, verse 35. Then Philip began with that very passage of scripture and told him, told the Ethiopian, the good news about Jesus. I love that ending. He ended up, the Ethiopian, being baptized just along the route that they were on. Fifth point, we need to let scripture point to Jesus. We need to read the scriptures with Jesus in mind. The whole of it points to Jesus in one way or another. The point of reading the Bible is not the Bible. And hear me really clearly here, friends. No matter how much we love or elevate or lift up the scriptures, we must keep in mind that it is the Christ of scripture who is to claim our deepest affection. Otherwise, we become people who practice bibliolatry. Bibliolatry, it's a real word. I didn't just make that up. It's a form of idolatry when the Bible itself becomes a thing of worship. Be careful here with this, because then we start to believe that only certain translations are right. Only a certain way of teaching the Bible is right. Only certain ways of reading the Bible are right. As if those things were the point. The point is Jesus. Always Jesus. And what he wants is for us to let the voice, his voice, that is behind all the other voices of scripture, reach out to us and speak to us and touch us and to reach out and speak to others. The point of the Bible in engaging it at all is that God wants to speak with you. He wants to communicate with human beings ever since he had to put us out of the Garden of Eden. He's been trying to get us back into a conversational relationship with him. And the Bible is the primary means by which he does that. And all he asks is that we pick it up and we open it and we be honest about how hard it is and we ask questions in community and we keep him as the focus. We want to be a church devoted to the apostles' teaching. 
We want to be centered around the powerful, living, active word of God. And we want each person who calls Orchard home to take whatever that next step is for you. Maybe it's to buy a living Bible and to read all the red letter words. I don't know what it is, but to take one next step on this journey and your experience with the scriptures. So we're going to watch a short video highlighting a couple of the ministries here at Orchard Hill that you can jump into revolving around the scriptures. Let's watch. One reason I devote my time to working on the Daily Scriptures website and email is that I have a a gift for organizing information, organizing tasks with a group of people. And Alice and I work along with a, a great team of writers, both church staffers like Alice and people from the seats like me who um, bring a great variety of, of experiences and perspectives to creating these daily entries. But more importantly, I also do it because although I've been reading the Bible for lots of years, I sometimes find that I need a new way to look at it, a way to get out of my own rut of just reading the same words over again. And that's what I think daily scriptures can provide, both for people who have been reading the Bible forever and those who are newer to it. We've been doing daily scriptures for five years now, and it could be really easy for me to get just a little bit jaded, a little too comfortable with the Bible, Um, a book that really is not easy or comfortable to read and respond to. So it always amazes me when I'm reading through a new set of entries that's just been emailed to me by one of the writers, and one of them hits me right in the face, like, whoa, I've read this passage so many times in my life, and I've never thought of it that way. How did I miss that? Providing those kinds of experiences, not just for me, but for all the readers, is what keeps me excited about working on daily scriptures. I'm really excited about the idea of connecting our uh, moving in community with engaging with the Bible. And when you get in a group of people, uh, you know that there are going to be people who know the Bible inside and out, who've read it through uh, maybe two or three times, and you're going to have people who the Bible scares them or the Bible's really intimidating. And when we all sit around a table and look at just this really short story about Jesus... Everyone is able to come to the scripture, ask some questions, imagine what it would be like to be there as Jesus is talking or what people were thinking as he was talking. And the community that happens around the table is just something I don't want anyone to miss. Uh, the people who've read the Bible through two or three times are able to hear from a person who the Bible is new in a way that... Uh, maybe they would never have thought of. And the people who maybe the Bible is scarier or intimidating, they're able to to listen to the people who just love the Bible, who find it fascinating, and who are excited to explore um, what they'll learn in a new way from this piece of Scripture. This is new territory for me, but it's territory that I think I'm ready for. So when we sat down the other day in preparation for Get to Know, And we talked about a verse, and then we broke it down, basically, by who was in the story, where were they at, why were they there, what took place. It was just, it was fun, for one thing. Um, It took the intimidation out of Bible study for a person who's not, um, doesn't come from that background. We didn't take a Bible to church like other uh, denominations do. So... I think it's just great. It's a great method to 
get into other people's thoughts about what's happening. And it's fascinating to me to see you get six or eight people around the table, how they interpret when you ask them to break it down in that manner, who, what, when, where, why. I bet you each have five minutes a day that you could devote yourself to the scriptures. That's all it takes to access our daily scripture. Like Clint said, there's a group of writers, people who spend time trying to drop every single hurdle that we have towards the scriptures and present us usually with stuff that relates to our teaching series. So I encourage you to go online to our website, click on resources, drop down, go to daily scripture, sign up for it to be delivered to your email, and then read it. And I believe that over the course of time, little bits of scripture engaged with every day will change your heart. Or maybe it's time for you to sign up for what Carla was talking about and what Mike was describing, which is one of our new interactive Bible studies. There's a couple outlined here in the small groups uh, brochure. One, Carla's going to lead here six weeks, sit around a table, open the Bible. You don't have to know the Bible at all and engage it and let it engage you. If you're closer to Dyke, um, um, there's one offered out there. And if, and if you feel like, you know what? I don't need that. I'm beyond that. Guess what? Maybe God's calling you to get trained to lead an interactive Bible study because uh, you're never, you're never, ever beyond the Bible. So I encourage each one of you to think about what is the next step that you can take. It doesn't have to be a 100 steps. What is just the next step you can take to interact with this word of God that people across the globe die for and that we act like, is no big deal. And I want to say this so clearly. I believe the impact of this church in the world and the impact really of our own lives on the world hinges to a certain extent on our willingness to jump into this particular stream, the stream of engaging the Bible. It matters, friends. It really matters. I just want to close with this beautiful paraphrase of Colossians 3.16. This is what it says. Let the word of Christ, the message, have the run of the house. Give it plenty of room in your lives. Instruct and direct one another using good common sense. And sing. Sing your hearts out to God. Engage the Bible. I believe your life will never, I believe you'll never, ever, ever regret it. Let me um, just say amen to that. And then we're going to move into um, another uh, activity, kind of holy activity. We now call it a sacrament that Acts 2 tells us the early church was devoted to. And that was the breaking of bread, which of course in that day meant full meals shared together, but it also meant the very special sacramental meal of bread and wine that Jesus used to symbolize his body broken for us, his blood poured out for the forgiveness of our sins. And so we devote ourselves to this too. And I want you to remember that on the night he was betrayed, Jesus took the bread. And after he gave thanks to his father for it, he broke it. And he said to his confused disciples, this is my body broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, he took the cup that was filled with the Passover wine. And he said to them, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for the forgiveness of sins. Drink it in remembrance of me. 
And if you were here for our Set Free series, you'll remember that I talked about this new covenant, which really is Jesus' words to us saying, I'm going to do it all for you. My body will be broken. My blood will be poured out all for your sake. And then you will be good with my Father. Now come, follow me. And so this is Jesus' table And he invites us to his table. And so if you're a follower of Jesus, you don't have to be a member of Orchard. Or if you are somewhere on this journey toward following Jesus, Jesus invites you to this table of remembering what he has done for you. So I'm going to invite the ushers forward. They're going to serve the bread continuously and then the juice continuously. So just take the element and hold it and pray and spend some time with God and take it as you feel led. There's also, I think, gluten-free Options in the back, and I'm going to pray. God, so much of your word is dedicated to us, your people, remembering who you are and what you have done and who we are and where we stand with you. And when we don't open your word, God, we forget. Thank you that your word exists to remind us of how much you love us and what you've done for us. And thank you for this gift as well, this gift of the bread and the juice that reminds us that now there is no more that we need to do to be in relationship with the Holy God. You have done it all for us out of love. And we now simply receive the bread and the juice to remind us how far and deep and wide and high and long is your love. Thank you, God. Thank you. Amen.